This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the show. And yes, I am your host, Todd C. Slater. You know, after being in real estate for probably 30 years now in multiple capacities, actually 35, I think, would be closer to the date, but every single year you start fresh. If you're a realtor, you're looking at it saying, okay, do I have business for this year? If you're a contractor, you're hoping to make it through the winter. I've been in both places and I got to tell you, you're sitting there a little bit nervous thinking about what the year is going to unfold like. And, you know, that's the one thing that I'm hoping that we can shed a little bit of light on today. Later in the hour, I've got a great guest that is going to introduce us to one of the biggest industries in Toronto. It generates about $12.6 billion. It's actually bigger than the auto sector. They employ more than 98,000 people. This is an industry that affects every single one of us. I'm going to let you wait until I introduce him and tell you what this industry is. But you know what? It's something you're going to want to listen to. At the start of 2016 here, I kept thinking to myself, what am I going to do to help our listeners have a better understanding in the marketplace? And fortunately, I was able to reach out to somebody to me who is very important in the real estate world. It's Mr. Greg Gilmore. He is one of the founders, the original founders of Remax here in Canada. Back in, I would call it late 1970s, early 1980s, he's the owner of one of the biggest Remax brokerages in Canada, Remax Realty Specialist. He's a bit of a mentor to me. Um, in fact, uh, I got my start in real estate with Greg. He's joining us right now on the line. Greg, thanks so much for joining us here at Simply Real Estate. Oh, Todd, it's my pleasure. You've been in real estate, I think we were saying somewhere around 40 years. Is that correct? That is correct. We should really talk about the marketplace itself. 2015, you know, if you reflect backwards on it, what what did you think of 2015 as a market? You know, 2015, we had a really slow start to the year, but it totally, totally recovered. And we had actually like some pretty substantial gains. And anything that was well-priced, we were seeing multiple offers on. And each time the property sold, it seemed to sell for a little bit more than similar properties had previously sold. So we had a very, very active market. And I would say it was more seller's market than a buyer's market. But I, anybody who bought early in the year actually um, had already made money by the end of the year on their investment. Toronto Real Estate Board, Greg, came out with a stat that said detached properties in the 416 area went up about 12% last year in 2015. They said semi-detached properties went up about 9.5%. But the big number, of course, for Toronto Real Estate Board was the fact that you know they almost did 102,000 transactions that's a record for us. You've been through all the, the ups and downs. Are we heading for a bubble or do you see 2016 still being a good market? I think 2016 is going to be a very good market again. I don't see anything that is going to um, slow the market down. Like The interest rates are at an all-time low. I don't see any major changes to the interest rate in the near future. And interest rates just make affordability there, even though the prices have been creeping up over the last several years. Um, but the interest rates are being so low, makes it, you know, properties are affordable. As you know, I've been in real estate quite a long time because I, I started with you in the in the early days and, you know, spent my entire career with you guys. One of the biggest things that I think that, you know, for yourself, you've seen interest rates at incredible highs and reality states that it's still very low money. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm one of those unfortunate people that had a 19 and three quarter percent first mortgage in the late 70s or early 80s. The rates went even higher than that. To me, these rates are still bargains. And also, it's not unreasonable to get four to six percent return on investment today. So, if you're looking at four to six percent investments, then you can get a mortgage at 3.04, it's still a bargain. I know you're very diversed in real estate. Um, you know a lot of people that are investing out there. You and I had a conversation earlier, and we were talking about the fact that there's a lot of people out there that they're looking at their retirement right now. And of course, RSPs, you know, the world markets are not faring too well right now. What do you think about real estate as a long-term hold? I think real estate is just excellent as a long-term hold. And the thing with real estate is it is always recovers, but I don't see anything that's going to drop the prices right now. But even if they did, like the rents are, are getting to the stage that they are, are a reasonable return on investment themselves. If you own real estate, you can just count on your rental income and keep a steady income. And then the fact that the prices are likely to go up is just an added bonus. I know that you are also a fairly extensive real estate investor. And when we talk about the Toronto condominium market, prices have kind of, you know, peaked in that in that range, which have made it a little bit difficult to be an investor in that market because we are seeing some negative cash flow. What would you have to say to some of the people that are buying some of this new stuff? What do you think? I'm not a big fan of investing in um, the high-rise condos, although certainly they've done extremely well over the years. The problem is that as a long-term hold, the maintenance fees and taxes make the return on investment on a hold quite a bit lower than if on other investments like townhouses that are condominium with the maintenance fee lower and the tenants actually uh, paying for their own utilities. As a long-term investment, I'm not a fan of the high-rise condos. They've certainly proven me wrong over the years as far as they've had some good returns. Most people at the beginning of the year, you know, you and I have always known, we've seen the cycles, you know, people start thinking of listing their homes in January, February. For the listeners of the show here, one of the things that I try to encourage people, always go with a professional, somebody that's doing this full-time. Can you kind of take us through some of the things that people should be looking for when interviewing a real estate agent? I would say the absolute most important thing is to make sure that you're dealing with somebody who is a full-time realtor. It is their number one focus. It's nice to get a top producer, but it doesn't have to be a top producer. It has to be somebody who's on your needs and is willing to devote their time to you. Full-time real estate agent is the most important thing. You also have to make sure that they're knowledgeable and that you feel comfortable with them because those are the people that are going to advise you to accept or reject an offer that's put in front of you and also guide you through the whole process. And it's really important to listen to what the realtor says once you've got your trust in that person. And so you have to feel that you can trust that person. It's important to pick the right person. We always want to talk about professional realtors. This is what they do. This is their career, you know, their full-time job. You mentioned something that's very difficult because we get people telling us, well, houses sell themselves. What's your take on that? I've always disagreed with that. You've got to have the proper understanding in the marketplace. Where do you look at it? Oh my gosh. The um, proper representation is so important. Most people don't understand that many people in the real estate business only sell like three houses per year and they consider themselves real estate agents where the industry average is probably close to nine or 10. If you take a look at a company like Remax, 
the average agent sells about 14 to 16 houses a year. There's a substantial difference, and the knowledge difference between them is just unbelievable. There's no hidden reason that uh, REMAX is the largest and most productive real estate organization in the world. Actually, it's not the largest real estate organization in the world. It just sells more houses than any other real estate organization because we hire better people and our people are more productive. So it's hard not to have a REMAX person in your interview progress. That makes a lot of sense because, I mean, REMAX probably sells one in every three or one in every two properties that is sold nowadays in just about every marketplace. One of the things that always motivated me to go to you and have people talk to you is that your ability to share your knowledge with other people. I think one of the things that I'd have to ask you is that, is this something you encourage in your agents? Because one of the things that I've noticed in the last couple of years, agents decide that they want to keep the information even tighter, where I think it's almost the duty of an agent to actually educate the public as well. Oh, absolutely. I'm very, very fortunate because we have our top salespeople training our newer people they share all their great ideas. In fact, January 12th, we have three to 400 of our salespeople joining us for the 2016 Kickstart. And we have volunteer speakers who are just like leaders in the industry sharing what they do to take care of their clients. It's not just the sale of the house. It's taking care of the clients through the whole process that's really important. Just looking after their mortgage, making sure that they know whether they're going to have a discharge penalty on their existing mortgage or whether they can portable it to a new house. There's just so many factors that the general public doesn't even realize that they have to consider. That's a great point, Greg. As I would say from my past, I was one of your speakers at some points there. You know, but you were very, very, very willing to share your knowledge and you were our, the top salesperson in our company for a number of years. You've done extremely well in your career and we're very proud of you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And one of the reasons why I wanted our listeners to actually hear from you is the fact that Folks, the most important thing when you do interview agents, you do have to have a comfort level. And the one thing that I can assure you that is um, companies like REMAX Realty Specialist and, and professionals like Greg Gilmore, they do encourage that in all of their people. You must have confidence in the person that you're listing with. This is the biggest sale of your life when you start moving your, if you're buying a property or you're selling a property, this is the biggest transaction of your life and you need proper representation. Greg, maybe some advice, you know, when's a good time to sell a house? When's a good time to buy a house, get pre-qualified, that kind of thing? What should people be doing right now? If we talk about buying, then the big thing is to buy as quickly as possible because it's very likely that you can't save fast enough to keep up with the marketplace. If you think about buying a home for $400,000, and you can save, you know, what, $10,000 a year. It would be pretty aggressive. But last year, prices went up by 12%. That means that a $400,000 home went up over $40,000. So you just can't save fast enough to keep up with the rising prices. I mean, some people have expressed some concerns about prices maybe falling in the near future. Darn, I just don't see it. I don't see uh, the factors that will change the marketplace in the greater Toronto area because the demand is just still there. And with the interest rates being affordable, I would say try and get into the marketplace as soon as you possibly can. In the big picture, if you hold on to a home for 10 years, it doesn't matter if the price falls a little bit because it's going to come back up. Basically, once you get into the real estate market and you can afford the monthly payments, 
it's usually better than paying rent and paying for somebody else's investment. So first-time buyers should try and get into the market as quickly as possible. And I do like to see people stretch when they first buy to try and get into something affordable, but if they can stretch to start with a townhome rather than a high-rise condo, I think it's better. But if a high-rise condo is all you can afford and you can buy it, by replacing your rent with a real estate investment, then keep the condo for a long, long time. Excellent advice. Greg, I want to thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate your time, everybody. Mr. Greg Gilmore from Remax Realty Specialist, one of the founders of Remax. Thanks so much for joining us here at Simply Real Estate. Oh, Todd, it's my pleasure. I've got a great guest that's joining me after the next break. This guest is going to introduce us to probably one of the biggest industries in Toronto. In fact, it generates about $12.6 billion. It's actually bigger than the auto sector. We also have a complete underground economy that's establishing over $5 billion in income. Can you imagine an underground economy of $5 billion? I'm sure the CRAs just peaked up on this, or hopefully they're working on it right now, because this is one of those things. This is an industry that affects every single one of us. And coming up after the break, I'm going to let you wait until I introduce him and tell you what this industry is. But you know what? It's something you're going to want to listen to. So stay with me. We'll be right back after the break, and we're going to talk about one of the biggest industries in Canada and one that should be a concern of yours. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now back to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. Once again, I'd like to thank Greg for joining us here on the show. Mr. Greg Gilmore, again, one of the founders of Remax right here in Canada. Awesome guy, very knowledgeable. Hey, folks, if you do want to reach Greg, you can reach him at 905-858-3434. Again, just a slew of professionals that he works with and very, very knowledgeable. Just before the break, I was giving you the teaser of a huge, huge industry. And you know what? We are very fortunate to have in the studio today a very special guest. It is John Carlo. Silfidis. He's the chair of Build Renovator Council. Also, uh, he is the president of Fairside Homes and Renovation. And John Carlo, thanks so much for joining us today. The pleasure is mine, Todd. Thank you. We've been doing a huge tease on the fact that we're talking about a massive industry. You, know, you and I are going to actually get really in depth with it. Just so we know, who is Build and what do they do? Build is the industry association of home builders, renovators. We have a number of different members, including surveyors, financial professionals, subtrades, and we all come together to represent the industry to the three levels of government and to the consumer. Some of the numbers you gave me, and this is what I was using as a tease, you know, $12.6 billion. I mean, that's massive. It really is. We're, we're the largest industry by far in the country, and that's what people don't realize. The renovation industry is now larger than the new home building industry. We're larger than the auto industry. One of the challenges of our industry is it's fragmented. There are many participants in the industry, so our voice isn't as strong as it could be. And that's what we're working on at Build, is we're trying to bring together all the different segments of renovation and represent our concerns to the three levels of government and for consumers to have a one-stop shop for the renovations. Again, going back to the amount of people employed in the renovation industry um, sitting at 98,000, not only is that just a massive, massive number, but if we back it up and then say, okay, but there's also a black market of $5 billion 
those 98,000 aren't represented in that $5 billion of off-market, is it? No, it's not. And you're correct. According to the government's own estimates, the underground economy, they estimate it right now at about $5.2 billion. And they're saying, you know, there's foregone tax revenue of about $1.6 billion, and then other revenue, like contributions to WSIB and health insurance, of another nearly $800 million. So it's significant. I understand people, you know, that they think they're getting a deal, but this underground economy is so massive in this particular industry, the government is now looking at it, and this could be a huge cash cow if they were able to get people like yourselves regulated into the industry to make sure that everything's being controlled properly. Is that what you're looking for? Let's look at why the underground economy is as big as it is. And it speaks to taxation. Are the levels of taxation so high that the consumer themselves are the ones prompting the underground economy? And to some extent, it's true. Because if someone comes along and says, look, this is the price, and it includes 13% HST, and then someone comes along and says, oh, I'll do it. No problem. No tax. And guess (laughs) what? You know, I know you're in a hurry for it. Uh, We don't need building permits. And therein lies the problem. So... I think the government needs to step back and look at how this industry is operating. Is the tax burden too high? Is the regulatory burden too high? I mean, you mentioned building permits in your earlier segment. One of the challenges we're having is the timely issuance of building permits. If it's a question of supply and demand, don't you think it would behoove the government to increase the supply to help regulate the price a bit? And the way to do that at the municipal level is let's have predictability when we're dealing with the municipal government as to when we can expect building permits. You know, a lot of what people are now doing, and we had a pretty thorough discussion there about supply and demand in properties. And we know in, you know, the Vancouver area, a lot of the properties, obviously, when they're buying them, they're now either doing renovations, putting up new houses, or for that matter, they're doing mass additions, right? And in Toronto, you know, we feel a lot of that because we've got a lot of the aged homes that people are still spending a million dollars on, but they'll do a $500,000 renovation. A good source that's driving your industry right now is the mass renovation of the turnovers of those baby boomers. Yes, absolutely. And that speaks to the housing stock of this city. You're talking about a housing stock that's in desperate need of renewal. A lot of homes are 60 to 70 years old. They were post-World War II homes or post-World War I homes or even the condos that were built in the 80s. It's time for renewal, and that's what's driving this industry. And people are looking at what's happening to the price of real estate and deciding, I think I'll stay in my own home and renovate because I'll get what I want and I'll get a better bang for my buck. One of the things that I always encourage people here actually on Simply Real Estate is not to buy the shiny penny. I actually tell them, buy the fixer-upper. Because, you know, we've got a lot of these people out there and they're saying, hey, listen, I can't afford this. You know, what I can afford, I don't necessarily like. Like, I struggle because it's got bad carpet, bad kitchen, all this. But yet, that bodes well for the person that's thinking long-term, increasing their equity, doing the right part. And renovations, you know, um, you know, for those of you tuning in, as you know, um, I, I, I've been a contractor in real estate uh, combined over 30 years now. And for me, I always tell people, I would rather buy something run down and build the equity into it with renovations. And I think that's a really strong story for your industry right now. I couldn't agree more, Todd. I think at the end of the day, uh, there is value there, but you have to be willing to take on that kind of project. That's where the sweat equity comes in. Though you may not be doing the work yourself, you have to be able to withstand the dust and all the other aspects you involved. Have to have the in, and you have to have the patience. <laughs> yeah. you know, and you have to recognize that when you're dealing with a contractor, it's as much of an art as it is a science. Your contractor is your partner. He or she is your partner in realizing your vision for your property. And that's a key point. 
you hear of all the horror stories and renovations. Yep. We're going to go to a break, but folks, we've got one of the authorities here with us right now, John Carlo Sofitas. He's from Build Renovator. Stay with us because he just touched on something that we we're going to get into on the next section. So listen, stay with us. We'll be right back with our great guest. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now back to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Just before the break, we were talking about a multi-billion dollar industry, a huge underground and a massive employer right here in Toronto. What is that industry? Well, it's renovations. And of course, my guest joining me is John Carlos Silfitas, and he is Build Renovator Council. He's the chair, and he is also the owner and president of Fairside Homes and Renovations. Thank you so much for joining us today, John Carlo. You know, a little bit uh, earlier, you and I were discussing the sheer volume of the industry and the dollar value is absolutely staggering at t- this over is 12 a big billion. Industry. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. Bigger than the auto industry. We're bigger than the auto industry. And you alluded to the 98,000 jobs that we create just in the GTA, and that's equivalent to $5.4 billion in wages. Going back to our first year economics course, I mean, there's a multiplier effect on that. When people are working and making money, that stimulates the economy and it's good for everybody. Homes eventually have to be renovated, okay? You cannot make something that's going to last your entire lifespan. You know, we've got all sorts of parts of the industry. Just before we went to break, you were about to allude to, you know, talking about contractors partnering with them. Of course, there are those people that are do-it-yourselfers and half the time they get themselves into trouble and then they call panic. They've opened up their own roof and all of a sudden they can't get it closed. (laughs) We've seen that. We've seen that a million (laughs) times. We're going to get into some horror stories, but I think what I'd like to talk to you about is actually maybe a little bit of a checklist. People need to hire the real pros. When we talk about real estate, I always tell people, hire a full-time real estate agent. If you're going to go with somebody, you go with somebody that spends their life doing it. It's in their blood. They do it full-time. You can track them down. They've been in the industry for a long, long time. In renovations, the one thing I learned, if somebody's been in the industry for a long time, solid name, follows the rules, you probably have the right people to work with. What should people be looking for in a contractor? That's a great question, but let's take one step back and let's talk about before they start a renovation, what should people think of? That will lead them to the right questions for what they want to look for in a contractor. We've laid out five steps to successful renovation, and it's pretty commonsensical. You know, as they say, it's common simple, sense. Right? It's, it's, it's simple, simple. That's okay. right. And common sense isn't too common. <laughs> when you first start, plan your project carefully. Ask yourself, why are you renovating? Are you renovating to increase the value of your house? Is going in the market? Are you renovating for increased energy efficiency? Uh, or is it utility? Do you just want a new kitchen because you're tired of your old one? Sure. So it's that kind of thing. What's your budget? Make sure you have a realistic budget. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, hang on, (laughs) hang on. I got to to call, hang on. People don't understand sometimes what it takes in renovation. So if you have a budget, and some contractors are good at changing budgets for you too. So I appreciate your (laughs) fact that you say have a budget. So how do people actually figure out a budget even prior to it? I mean, do they just say, listen, I've got this much available money? Uh, Well, it's one of two ways. It's basically that. It comes down to what's available and how much you're willing to spend. If you only have $50,000, you know, and you want to do a brand new kitchen and three brand new bathrooms, I don't think that's going to cut it, right? So I think you've got to be realistic. But even with respect to budget, don't overspend for the area. See, I love love that. Okay, and sorry, to tie in real estate, I love that because there are those people that over-improve a property. And then they've gone so far that they're not going to get the money out. 
unless you want to do it for your own enjoyment. That's the only caveat there. And right? that comes to home ownership for a long time. Yes. It depends on your holding period. Sure. Right? I think your budget will determine by how long you want to be in this house. Why are you renovating? And then, you know, start considering questions like, should I make a contingency? Of course. You should always add 10% to whatever budget you come up with, if not more. I always tell people 20, by the way. You won't get disagreement from me there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then ask yourself questions. Do I need a permit? And what other services will I need? Will I need a structural engineer? Do I need an architect? Do I need a surveyor? There's all kinds of questions. So that's the first thing. Do your homework. Plan your renovation carefully. And with respect to permits, it's a complicated process these days. I mean, as you know, Todd, it's a bit of a challenge getting permits, and there's a whole host of considerations that go into what would appear to be a simple renovation. To touch on that, you know, one of the things I think people also struggle with is the timeline aspect of things. You know, when you talk about permits, you're bang on, and especially here in Toronto, but basically anywhere in Canada, you don't show up at the office, get a permit that day, walk out, and you're good. <laughs> I mean, if it's so minor that, yeah, they just have to stamp a piece of paper, okay, but when it actually has to have something that could have an inspection, then a completely different ballgame. But I think for a lot of people, they don't realize how long a renovation can take. And when a contractor gives a timeline, you need to add to it because there can be delays that are unforeseen. Yes. And to be fair, a lot of the delays are on the part of our clients, on the consumer. Sure. So they change things in midstream. Exactly. And there's lots of changes made. And, you know, I would be a multimillionaire if I had a dime for every time someone told me, no, there's no changes. We know what we want. But we chuckle at that and we expect sure. changes. But, you know, there are other delays. Like when we tell the clients, okay, I need tile selections by such and such a date or faucets or paint colors. And then they go and choose tiles that are going to be six weeks on the boat because they're coming from Italy. You know, these are the unforeseen delays that really you can't fault anyone. No, and that's that's the thing. It's it's that expectation that gets set. The one thing I've always told people that if you're going to do a, a renovation, first of all, it's the one of the hardest things on a marriage. Yes, it is. You know, it, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it really is. It's one of the hardest things. Any major renovation that a couple go through, it's very taxing because their lifestyle is completely altered. And this is what people I think need to do is put a contingency plan in place. Is there some place you can stay? Because you know, as you said, you go in to do a kitchen and three bathrooms, and for a contractor to work efficiencies, it makes more sense for him to tile all of the at once then say, okay, I'll do this bathroom this week, this bathroom next week, this bathroom the following week. So everybody's going to have a bathroom to use. That's ludicrous. Okay. There's always timing of things. And if you want to keep things efficient. So I think a lot of people need to realize time and kind of an alternate living style needs to be arranged. Yes. And that depends on the scope of the renovation. And we've done, as I'm sure you have in your time, we've done renovations where the clients actually live through them. They're living in the house. Yes, I know. And, and you know, that, miserable. Makes it, that makes it challenging. <laughs> that really taxes your skills as, uh, as a mediator. I can remember, you know, a few clients just absolutely screaming, I can't live like this anymore. <laughs> and you're looking saying, then you shouldn't have changed what you wanted. <laughs> I think you've been there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, many a times. Plan the renovation. We said plan it carefully. And then the sure. second step is hire a professional. As you said, you know, when you're dealing with anything, you want to hire a professional. You're not going to go to a part-time dentist, right? <laughs> you're going to go to a professional. This is one of the biggest expenditures they'll make in their life. 
they have doubts about hiring a professional because someone comes along and says, oh, I could do it cheaper if you pay me in cash. So hire a professional. Why? Because they understand the requirements. We know when permits are required, what types of permits will be required, what other services we will need in terms of planners or engineers or things like that. We provide written contracts. We put it all out there. Everyone's on the same page. That's critical. It's managing expectations. And when everyone has the same expectations, projects go pretty well. So that's the second step is hire a professional. As a corollary to that, get it in writing. I was just going to say. so critical. The uh, Canadian Home Builders Association has an entire website and pamphlet that's supported by the federal government of the necessity and importance of getting stuff in writing. And speaking of writing, we're going to go to a quick break. But when we come back... Again, my guest, John Carlos Sofitas, is here from Build Renovator. He is the chair, and we've got lots more to talk about. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. So, you know what? It's been really interesting so far. We have been talking with John Carlos Sofitas. He is from Build Renovator. He's the chair there. And we're talking about renovations and what people should be lining up. And just to kind of recap, we were just talking about, we need to get things in writing. I think that this is probably one of the biggest things that people should do. Can you kind of extrapolate with that? You know, from your own experiences, thought, how do people choose a renovator? Oh, it's a friend of a friend or it's a family member. I heard about this person. Yeah, I heard about this person. So it's done on trust or a handshake. And then what happens when things go wrong? And invariably, there will be a misalignment of expectations between the consumer and the renovator. So how do you handle that? If things aren't in writing, if the project isn't laid out clearly, if change orders aren't dealt with clearly, what happens? This is just a recipe for ill will and ill feeling, right? And then that's how you get the horror stories of the renovation that's gone awry. And and sure. we've all heard them. As you pointed out, detail is very important. So when somebody turns around and if it just says on the thing, renovate bathroom, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, everybody's got a different level of renovation. That's right. So outlining specifically, what level of tile, what kind of finishings, what are you using for faucets? What do you, like if we're talking specifically for something sure. like this, every area that you're renovating should be outlined. So if you're going to be putting a new hardwood in a living room, then explain what you're doing with the old flooring. Who's ripping out the old flooring? Who's removing it? The bigger the contract, the more spelled out it is, the better chance you have of success. Correct. I agree. I think the more detail and the more that's pinned down and not left to the gray areas, the better for everyone. Everyone has a clear understanding. And then as well, you know, the contract will also provide the warranty. What's the warranty on this? Sure. Excellent. Because you can't say, uh, well, you know, my faucet isn't working and it's six years later. If the contractor says you got a two-year warranty and we'll come back and replace whatever goes wrong. Within that time period. Yeah. Sure. So Excellent. get that spelled out. Yep. So, you know, getting it in writing is critical. But then I think the next step is check on the progress. Communicate with your contractor. As I said before, your contractor is your partner in realizing your vision for your place. This is where you want to try to avoid an us and them mentality. So when things start to get a little <laughs> tense, right, when changes are made and the timing has dragged on a bit long, you know, this is where people start to get frayed feelings. So. Sure. Communicate with a contractor, keep the lines of communication open at all times. And that goes as much for the contractor as it does for the client. Again, you're working together here. It's almost like a marriage. (laughs) Communication is the key. 
those are the five essential steps to what I think would be successful renovation. So here we are. We've set out basically the parameter. We got to make sure we've got everything in writing. Make sure you've done your homework. As I've said, watch your timeline. Also, keeping in mind that you're going to have some extras, and it's not the fault necessarily of the contractor, but it can be the fault of the actual consumer because all of a sudden they want the nicer cabinet, they want this, they want that, or they're in the middle of seeing something and they want to change something. And that happens all the time. You and I both know that, you know, when you start opening up a place, all of a sudden, hey, we just had this great idea. We talked about it after the contractor left today and we want to do it. That happens all the time. But here's one thing that I think that I'd really like our listeners to start understanding is the money aspect of it. Because How much do you give up front as a deposit? How should you do a pay scale? What do you do for holdbacks? What is reasonable when dealing with professionals? What should people anticipate? Because again, the people that talk about cash, and you and I are going to talk about that in a minute. When we talk about cash, it's pretty scary because normally they hit you up for a lot of cash out of the gate. And that's the first red flag. What should people doing for pay scales? Well, again, it depends on the size of the project. So if you're doing a $20,000 bathroom reno as opposed to a $600,000 addition, that's going to be slightly different. I mean, at the end of the day, the um, renovator wants to see commitment on the part of the client and the client wants to make sure that, you know, with the deposit, they know they're going to have the person lined up and the work done professionally. Again, that depends on the size, a token deposit. As a sign of goodwill is not out of the question. And then you could stagger the payments. Again, it depends on the size of the project. So, for example, for a larger job, you could say when the framing is done and the roof is shingled and the windows are in, I expect one third. So when you do all your sub trades and the drywalls in, there's the other third. And then pay me the balance, less the holdback upon completion. When we talk about holdback, just for clarity for our listeners, okay, the idea of the holdback, folks, is the fact that when you're doing a project, the day they finish, you just don't pay off the bill. Because normally, you've got to do some investigation. You have to make sure any other sub-trade's been paid, any supplier. The idea of a holdback is so you do not have a lien put on your property and the contractor is gone in some instances, or for that matter, if there's some finishing touch that need to be done. Most contractors, the professional ones, understand a holdback, okay? They'll actually tell you, we'll allow a 30-day holdback. In most cases, that's typically about 10% of the contract, maybe 15 to 20. Correct. Okay. Again, it depends on the size of the job, but it's for 10 to 20% is, is right. It's pretty average. Yeah. And then at that point, once you've inspected everything, you get all the quirks out, because again, Keeping in mind, and, and, and as Giancarlo has said, the size of the project really does matter here because when, the bigger this project, the more little things that can be found at a later date. Correct. When we talk about it, I have always said to people in most cases, you know, 20% down is normally a significant enough if you're dealing with, let's say, under $50,000. So if you're going to be doing a kitchen renovation, for instance, a 20% deposit, just so they know, okay, we're being serious. When you've installed XXX, we'll give you another 20 and another 10 and then hold back. Whatever, However the structure is, uh, that pretty much makes sense. Yeah, that's about right. And again, you know, different companies have their own different requirements, but, you know, they have to align their expectations with those of their client. I mean, everyone has to be comfortable. The down payment, the deposit shouldn't be a source of contention. It should just be a source of, hey, we're both in this. This is my sign of goodwill to you. Let's talk about Associate X that we're both acquainted with. He made that tragic error. Somebody that really didn't give him much in writing, very, very sketchy as far as the writing aspect of it, went to cash. He was having the stairs redone and a new railing put in. And the idea here 
was that he was going to have this renovation done, but he virtually fronted almost the entire cost up front. I think he put 80% down cash. Here's the money. Now he did have it being able to see it, but it wasn't written, you know, to a company or anything else. What do you think of that scenario? I mean, you well, and I talked about it earlier. That's not just a red flag. That's a yellow warning flag, two red flags, and a checkered flag, all, <laughs> all in one shot. So that usually characterizes the underground operators. They ask for an inordinate amount up front in cash. And then what happens? So what if they don't come? Where, yeah, where's your recourse? Where's your recourse? So I watched him suffer through this entire thing for months. At one point, he's begging the person to come back. The guy said, okay, give me more money. So he gave him more money. He basically drove the truck by, waved and kept going. You know, there was nothing done. And then he had to have somebody else come back to try to clean it up. But he almost repeated the same incident. And something that if he had dealt with a professional company that had done it right, might have charged him, let's say, 12, 14,000. And he now is cashed in at 20,000 and he's just going to get it done. And how many times do we hear that? And at the end of the day, Todd, cheap is expensive. Repeat that because our listeners need to understand I'll what that means. I'll say it again. Yeah. Cheap is expensive. When you think you're getting the cheap price, at the end of the day, what happens if anything goes wrong? Yeah. So what happens if, you know, the contractor doesn't come back or look, there unexpected changes? Look, and he was left high and dry. The guy said, look, no, I've ordered from the suppliers. And so when he got me involved, I said, ask him for a receipt. Ask him for the purchase order to the supply company for the railing. And the guy wouldn't provide it for him. So he took off with his money and then he had to start all over again. And not only did he have to start over again, he had to start over with a mess. Which makes it twice as expensive. Now. Exactly. Because you have to deconstruct before you can reconstruct. Well, I've always told people, listen, if I have to clean up somebody else's mess, <laughs> okay, it's going to cost you twice as much because I didn't make the, me the mess in the first place. Absolutely. And people need to realize that. It speaks to all the more reason to hire a professional renovator. And that's what the Renomark renovators are. Renomark renovators are the professional renovators of build. Can you give us some contact numbers for people to reach out for? Is, Absolutely. There, is there a website? There's or? a website. Okay. There's the renomark.ca and that's your list of professional renovators who are members of an industry association who pay not insignificant amounts of money to be members of the industry association because they get education, they're up on changes to the building codes, changes to municipal regulations. These are the professionals. These are the people who have the necessary insurance, your WSIB. This is your comfort zone. These are people who you know that you're going to get your job done. Excellent. Any last good advice you can give everybody? Go into it with your eyes open, plan, and hire a professional. And the professionals are found at renomark.ca. Excellent. John Carlo, thank you so much for joining me today. I the really pleasure appreciate was mine, it. Todd. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. That was John Carlo Sofitas, and he is from Build Renovator. He's the chair. And you know what? Some fabulous information. Huge, huge industry. If you're looking to find a professional, definitely go to renomark.ca. And there is a list of professionals there. You can find John Carlo there as well. One of the most important things you need to be concerned about is protecting yourselves. And when you deal with professionals, that's the first step to protecting yourself. Making sure you have everything in writing is the next step. And again, do not over deposit. In other words, keep your money in your pocket, make sure it's percentage draws, and your life's going to get a lot easier. So I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. 